the National Cannabis Industry Association, welcomes you to the NCIA's fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo in Oakland, California. Live streaming of today's keynote presentation is being made possible by the official radio podcast network of NCIA, Cannabis Radio, where activists, enthusiasts, cannabis owners, politicians, and policymakers tune in to hear what is important to all the major stakeholders of cannabis. CannabisRadio.com. Today's live stream begins with NCIA Executive Director Aaron Smith's opening remarks, followed by President Vicente Fox's keynote speech. President Fox served as the President of Mexico from 2000 to 2006, and since his presidency has become a notable proponent for a legal, regulated cannabis industry, actively supporting cannabis legalization in Mexico and the United States. Now here to begin this morning's presentation is Aaron Smith. Hello, cannabis industry! Welcome to NCIA's fourth Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. We are so excited to be here with all 4,500 of you, especially here in Oakland now that the Warriors are All right, we've got a lot ahead of us today, and I know that you want to hear from all the great speakers that we have facilitating the session, so I will keep my housekeeping notes to a minimum. Uh, throughout the day, if you have any questions, please be on the lookout for our volunteers wearing either an orange or a green shirt, and they can assist you with anything you may need, um, including directions to anywhere within the convention center. There is a map inside of your program, um, but please note that track one will be taking place in this room as well. Uh, make sure to stop by the NCIA Membership Lounge, which is located in the atrium. You can get a massage there today and tomorrow. You can charge your devices. And most importantly, you can connect with the NCIA staff members that are here on site. Um, located just next to the NCIA Membership Lounge is our bookstore. Um, please make sure to check that out while you're here at the summit for cannabis-related books. We also have a number of book signings going on throughout the summit. You can see a full schedule of those on page 16 in your program. Get connected. Uh, we want you to share your experience here at the summit on social media. So we highly encourage you to tweet. Uh, Instagram, post on Facebook, and when you do, use the hashtag Cannabis Summit so that you can connect with others online. And finally, I'd like to give a big shout out to our industry pioneer, New Frontier Financials, for their generous support. So please give me a round of applause for their support. Okay, now on to the main event. It is my great honor to be able to introduce the co-founder of the National Cannabis Industry Association next. For those of you who don't know, Aaron Smith is our fearless leader and co-founded this organization about seven years ago. Uh, in that time, he has grown the organization from literally just a handful of founding members into a powerhouse organization that now is made up of 1,300 plus uh, member businesses. 
And it has been a great privilege of mine personally to be able to work side by side with Aaron for the past uh, four years now to continue to grow this organization and this incredible industry. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Aaron Smith to the stage. The National Cannabis Industry Association welcomes you to the NCIA's fourth annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo in Oakland, California. Live streaming of today's keynote presentation is being made possible by the official radio podcast network of NCIA, Cannabis Radio, where activists, enthusiasts, cannabis owners, politicians, and policymakers tune in to hear what is important to all the major stakeholders of cannabis. CannabisRadio.com Today's live stream... All right, well, I wasn't expecting a... Uh wasn't expecting such an announcement there. Uh, but, hey, let's hear it for Brooke Gilbert. Thank you, Brooke. And let's hear it for the entire NCIA staff who have made this event uh, what I know is going to be the biggest and best NCIA event ever. Uh, also, we are so happy that you are here, and thank you, most importantly, the members of NCIA that make up the largest and most powerful community within the cannabis industry in the United States. While we are proud that our conference is uh, among the top 50 fastest growing trade shows in the U.S., uh, we also recognize there are many, many, many business conferences in the cannabis industry. I think there's probably three in Florida this week, I don't even know. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing joke. It's a running joke how many conferences there are. But I am so proud that ours is the only conference where our attendees are supporting federal advocacy through their registration, through the exhibitors, and all of you who have invested in your industry by being here today, especially the members of NCIA. We... This is an opportunity to connect with that community uh, that makes up the National Cannabis Industry Association. Together, we are so much more powerful as a, as a unified front here to not only advance our business interests, but to advance a social justice and personal freedom movement that started decades ago before anyone even imagined that there would be a legal cannabis business. So I really encourage you while you're here to talk to as many people as you can, connect with each other, attend the uh, sessions, which we have over 150 speakers that have been vetted by our, our their uh, proposals have been vetted by our staff and in some cases vetted by committees within NCIA to ensure that we have the top-notch educational programming because we're here not just not just to, to change the law, but also to continue to raise the bar in the cannabis industry so that we can be better and better with each day. You can use this opportunity to learn from mistakes and learn from the successes of your peers in the industry. And it's so, so important that we continue to work together because, believe it or not, cannabis is still illegal under federal law. And there is still a stigma dating back to prohibition from seven decade, more than seven decades ago. But you are the leaders and the visionaries who have invested in changing that. And again, I thank you so much. 
you guys, as just as cannabis consumers, there is no like one type of cannabis consumer uh, out there. Uh, cannabis consumers come from all walks of life. Uh, the same is true with the business leaders that make up the cannabis industry and the professionals here in this room. NCIA now proudly represents over 1,300 member businesses that in 40 different states across the country that range from large, vertically integrated, multi-million dollar businesses with several retail locations across the state of Colorado, for example, to small family farms here in Northern California or in Oregon uh, and across the country, from childproof packaging manufacturers to CPA firms to law firms to analytical testing laboratories ensuring that the cannabis that is going to market is safe. Uh, NCIA proudly represents this entire diverse industry that makes up what is now a $7 billion industry that is supplanting criminal drug cartels here at home and south of the border. This, well, those of us who have been carrying the flag for marijuana reform for years used to, it wasn't even that long ago, really, only a few years, this used to be a theoretical argument. Well, legalizing marijuana, ending prohibition, putting it behind a regulated counter would theoretically be better because X, Y, Z, better for public safety, better for public health, etc. And we, we would have these almost academic discussions about it. But now, with a proven track record in states like Colorado, Washington, Alaska, and Oregon, we now have tangible proof that regulating marijuana works. We're seeing reduction in marijuana interdicted at the southern border as states continue to regulate and replace criminal markets with legal, responsible small businesses. We're seeing violent crime going down sharply in states like Colorado that have regulated marijuana and every other, essentially almost every other category of crime reducing. While public health, uh, while marijuana regulation certainly also improves public health, we're seeing 25% less opioid-related overdoses in states that have medical marijuana programs in place. <laughs> we're in states that are allowing social use. We're providing people, adults, with the alternative to alcohol, a much safer herbal product. And marijuana regulation has been beneficial to communities at large as tax revenues are already in the hundreds of millions of dollars a year, funding school construction, law enforcement, after-school programs, drug treatment programs, and a myriad of social benefit programs in states that have tax and regulated cannabis, and there are soon to be so many more states on the way. Because voters have overwhelmingly now seen the success of cannabis regulation in those pioneering states. 56% of voters followed suit here in California, the largest state in the country, by passing Proposition 64, thereby creating the largest legal cannabis market in the entire world. Nevada, Massachusetts, Maine have followed, and now one in five Americans lives in a state that has regulated the entire adult cannabis market, and over 60% living in a state with medical cannabis, on, uh, some kind of medical cannabis law on the books. NCIA membership has ensured, the members have ensured, that this growing industry has had a voice in our nation's halls of power. We have a full-time government relations staff, which I am proud to report has grown to a full-time staff of three in our D.C. office. 
working every single day lobbying members of Congress and the administration on those issues important to you, as well as uh, professional lobbying uh, consulting firms working on the Republican side of the aisle in D.C. We're working on making sure that this new administration, which is sort of confusing on the cannabis issue, and certainly Jeff Sessions has not been, uh, has not been friendly to our issue, to making sure that they understand that an attack on the cannabis industry is not an attack on marijuana. An attack on the cannabis industry is an attack on state sovereignty. It's an attack on legitimate, good-paying jobs and to American values. We are making sure that they... We're making sure they also understand that cannabis is here to stay. Marijuana is becoming legal state by state by state and will remain legal for use and possession. And only through a commercial market can we serve these patients and adult consumers without fear of it going back into the black market. And we have seen governors in four states, the first four states to regulate, also echo these sentiments to the Trump administration and call for a de-escalation and ensuring that the DOJ does not go after legitimate businesses in their states. But it's very, very important that you help in this effort. As operators in the legal cannabis space, it is imperative, it always is imperative, but now more than ever, that you not only work and operate above board and in clear and unambiguous compliance with state and local laws and regulations and the guidelines set forth in the Cole Memorandum from the Obama administration. It is also important that you reach out and connect with your surrounding communities and be good corporate citizens. Because when and if the DOJ decides to float a trial balloon and crack down on legal operate operators, it's only through the community pushback that we will be able to ensure that they understand that that is not politically possible nor economically possible for the administration to undertake. And I think because as this industry has continued to raise the bar and become more and more responsible and engaged with the community more broadly, that is the reality we will see. And as I am here in Oakland, I remember back to 2012, the uh, Obama, during the Obama administration, there was a, a raid of Oaksterdam University and some of Richard Lee's uh, associated businesses just, just here on, on Broadway, almost across the street. And it, it was shocking to this entire city. There were, uh, we quickly mobilized with patient advocates here in the, in the area to connect with the small businesses up and down Broadway and Telegraph uh, right in advance of President Obama's uh, visit to Oakland, uh, which because the Bay Area is an ATM machine for the Democratic Party, uh, he thought, well, he'd just swing in here, go to the Fox Theater, collect several, you know, several million, uh, hundred thousands of dollars, and, and go on his way. But when he arrived, there were not only marchers in the streets, there were green flags hanging from almost every small, every business uh, along Telegraph and Broadway here in what we like to call Oaksterdam. Because the businesses, even, even, the, even I think Burger King and these sorts of businesses, corporate giants saw that Oaksterdam was a good neighbor. Oaksterdam invested in their community. They revitalized this neighborhood that we're in right now. They helped restore the, the historic Fox Theater. And they're a cornerstone. They were a cornerstone here. And guess what? That was 
among the last of any high-profile DOJ uh, activity against the legal cannabis industry. So through strength and solidarity, we have protections. And if Richard Lee from, from Oaksterdam and the, and the folks at Oaksterdam had kept their heads down and not, not communicated with their, or their community and participated in, their, in the activities of the neighborhood uh, and just you know, kept their heads down selling cannabis, do you think there would have been that kind of response? Not at all. So it's absolutely imperative that you keep out in the open and above board and work together in solidarity with your brothers and sisters in this movement. NCIA is also working in Congress to ensure that we continue to defund any federal law enforcement activities against state legal medical cannabis operators through the, uh, what is known as the Rohrabacher-Farr Amendment to the Department of Justice Appropriations Bill. Uh, we're also working to advance that so we can pass the McClintock-Polis Amendment uh, to the same DOJ spending bill that would restrict funding from being used to undermine any state marijuana law. I am confident that if, and this is a big if, I admit that uh, we're allowed a vote on the House floor on these two issues, that we have the votes to both protect medical and adult-use cannabis uh, in the coming fiscal year. I encourage you to continue to engage with NCIA, check our website and our newsletters for updates on those issues, as well as other issues like tax reform, ending Section 280E, or reforming Section 280E of the tax code so that our businesses can take ordinary deductions afforded to every other small business, ending the banking crisis so that we can safely deposit our money in a financial institution and maybe someday actually take out uh, traditional, lo traditional loans and lending through financial institutions without uh, those institutions fearing a backlash from the federal government. And ultimately, our end goal, which is to tax and regulate marijuana across the country and treat it similarly to alcohol. <laughs> to, that end, to that end, NCIA has launched a policy council this year, which at the beginning of the year, which serves as a think tank for the cannabis industry, developing model regulations, tax policy, and other federal policies that will someday be enacted when cannabis is ultimately legalized at the federal level, which I think can happen in the next four to five years. Because it's no longer about whether or not people should go to jail for marijuana. Almost nobody believes that anymore. And anybody who does keeps quiet about it because it's such an unpopular belief. But we still have a long way to go to back to ensure that voters are comfortable with and back the commercial, regulated, open sales of cannabis to adults. Our new uh, opponents or the challenges that we face, uh, those on the Hill that are working against us, are not the old prohibitionist uh, that we used to see. It's people who say, no, nobody should go to jail for smoking a joint, but we should not allow an industry to, to flourish around this. And they're trying to have things like state-run marijuana stores and other very closed markets for medical cannabis only. And I uh, encourage you to always, as an industry, embrace regulations and rules and then follow those rules, but push for open markets, not markets that are closed to just the very few that are well-capitalized enough to dominate a state. 
but open markets that are, while there is a, a bar, but that, the bar is not so high that to not be accessible to any responsible business person or entrepreneur who's resourceful enough to get into this industry. California is a beacon of opportunity here in the Golden State because, just because the market-driven approach here in California that has allowed this huge industry to flourish uh, and now being looked at by people across the, the, the world uh, to enter because of the openness of the market. So I implore you again, to, as an industry and as individuals, please do not side with those who think marijuana is bad and needs to be controlled to the point where it's, no, it's not accessible just so that we can say it's legal or in, under the hands of one or two conglomerates. Work for open access for all entrepreneurs who are responsible in this industry. After all, after all, the premise that those who are looking to create government-run marijuana programs or other very, very closed markets, the premise they're coming from is that cannabis is bad and that adult-use cannabis is inevitable. People are going to do it, but it's bad and must be controlled at all, at all possible. But we come from a different, a completely different standpoint, is that cannabis is not only an effective medicine and wellness supplement and an effect, a safer alternative to alcohol and pretty much any over-the-counter prescription medicine, more responsible adult use of cannabis, whether socially or medicinally, is a good thing for our society. So please stay vigilant and don't lose sight of that as we get tangled up in our little infighting as an industry or as with competitors. Uh, remember to always keep your eye on the prize, which is that reaching that day in the next four to five years where NCIA... As a, as a community, is presiding over a multi-billion dollar national industry that's truly a national industry operating across 50 states in the country. Because together, we can make that a reality. Thank you. And finally, it is my pleasure to, and my honor to introduce our keynote speaker, President Vicente Fox, who, President, President per, perhaps nowhere else in the world have the failure, the abject failure of our drug policies and our marijuana policies cannot be seen uh, is other is south of this of the border in our neighbors to the south in Mexico, where there are streets are ravaged with drug violence. Because we, up here in the United States, have really like using cannabis, but have decided that the production and sale of that cannabis should be left in the hands of criminals who are many times uh, operating in Latin America and have really uh, not, they, they've really decimated the environment there. Uh, created violent, dangerous situations for the people in an otherwise magnificent country. And Vicente Fox has really been a world leader, or leader on this issue worldwide, 
in calling for the end of cannabis prohibition, not just here in the U.S., but across the world, in order to relieve the violence south of the border and to bring peace to the citizens of Mexico. Because after all, it's us here in the U.S. that are causing the problem down south. And it's my honor to introduce President Fox, who is also the first, he was the first president to unseat the pre-party after nearly set the PRI party in Mexico after nearly seven decades of rule. A, ground, a groundbreaking thinker who is now the first world leader, former uh, world leader to address the cannabis industry. It's my honor to introduce President Vicente Fox. Thank you very much. Uh, larger crowd than yesterday with the Warriors. <laughs> so thank you for being here with us. Aaron, thank you very much. You're a great leader in this industry, in your country. You don't tweet. You don't use prompter, and you don't make mistakes every minute of the day. Thank you for this invitation, and let's, uh, let me try to provoke some thoughts on your side and some experiences that I lead uh, around the world, being a witness of how this industry is changing it's innovating, it's inventing, and it's opening a world business sector opportunity for many, many entrepreneurs. But more than that, this industry is now opening up the path Trending up with crime, organized crime, cartels, underground economy, death, blood, and so many other problems it has created. Going back to the beginning of this story over a hundred years ago, because of dogmatic reasons, religious reasons, Somebody convinced government to impose a prohibition against founding father beliefs to impose behaviors on our conscience, in our lives, in our decisions. It's clear the statement of founding fathers. Governments don't have the right to impose behaviors to citizens except when they affect their parties. So we are created free 
to exercise our freedom with responsibility. But the dogma spread out, not only to all corners of this nation, but to most nations in the world. Before that happened, this kind of products were not prohibited, were not criminalized. But finally, free human beings, human beings that love freedom and that like to decide on their own, imposed a new paradigm. And now, the trend is clear, the path is to the future. Under this philosophy, sustained by ethic and moral values, that human beings are going to be deciding on their own. It has caused huge amount of harm, this prohibition. Look at Mexico. We don't produce drugs significantly. We don't consume drugs significantly. And yet, the war on drugs created originally by President Nixon and imposed in many regions of the world has caused severe damage to our nation. Hundreds of thousands of kids in the last 10 years have died in the streets or rural areas of Mexico. Had died on this war on cartels, had died because the fight between cartels, has died because army trying to defeat cartels, because the stubborn governments, like the one before myself, decided that he would bring this world to an end and finish with cartels, finish with consum consumers, finish with the whole aspect of drugs. And of course it didn't happen, but we paid the price. These kids were not born criminals. These kids did not have in their genies criminality they just lacked the opportunities to have a decent, successful life. They didn't have the opportunity to have a job. They didn't have the opportunity to have a seat in a university through a scholarship. And cartels were ready to hire them with double the salary or the minimum salary wage in Mexico, double the salaries of GM's production manufacturing line. And they took the option, unfortunately, and most of them died. That is not sustained on any moral, ethical reasons. So it had to change, and that's why many of us in Mexico, in the United States, elsewhere in the world, we decided to go pro-legalization, we decided to go pro individual responsibility on taking decisions. So we have the cases of Holland, the cases of Portugal, great examples of what can be done when you have a vision, when you really are thinking about your fellow countrymen, when you're thinking about with a humane sense of 
compassion, love for others, making sure that citizens do have the opportunities they need. So now we have not only a new trend, we have a new reality. And that reality is right here where it smells to business leadership, to people that is decided to go ahead, but people that is responsible. We, you, are taking in your hands a big responsibility. Because in this industry, this issue is not well handled under great ethical, moral principles without a professional commitment, without understanding the other, and that we cannot harm any other individual around ourselves. It's a great responsibility to take this industry, to move this paradigm throughout the 21st century to expand, to extend, to change what I described in my last visit to Seattle in front of press, how different it feels to be by the side of a business community of responsible people, of responsible decision makers on this industry, than being by the side of Chapo Guzman or all of those criminals that kill and kill and kill. <laughs> this, this is the change. And United States is moving fast forward. Four states now approved for responsible use of marijuana. Many states approved for medical use. Now Uruguay opened also and moved to legalization or decriminalization. And Mexico, one year ago, took now the same decision. So now Mexico at least it's open for medical use all throughout Mexican territory. But this will go on. It will scale to the future if we are very responsible on our decisions, if we're very professional on what we're going to do. And this is where it's most important meetings like this, where we can exchange, where we can learn, where we can be trained to do things the right way. Now we have an extreme conservative government in the United States, extreme of extremes. Extreme right, extreme genies that pretty much smell like a dictatorship. That pretty much goes against the founding father, beliefs and principles. This guy thinks that he can impose in our conscience, that he can attack and these diminish the dignity of human beings everywhere in the world. We will call racist, rapist, criminals. We 
the Mexican people. How blind this guy can be. Why he cannot understand the enormous contribution that these great heroes, these great Mexican paisanos have done to this economy. Not, not long ago, Chrysler, Ford, GM went broke. And you, U.S. taxpayers, had to rescue these three corporations, had to invest billions and billions of U.S. dollars to save them from bankruptcy and bring them back to competitiveness. And now this stubborn, blind, ignorant, is telling GM, Ford, and Chrysler, you invest in the United States, you don't go abroad, you do it the way I say. And it's going to happen exactly the same thing again. History will repeat itself. There is no way under the actual circumstances these corporations can survive unless they are NAFTA corporations and they nourish the competitiveness of Canada, United States, and Mexico. And then they can compete, and then they came back to the market. Otherwise, the market will be in hands of the East, the Toyotas, the Mazdas, the Nissans, or it will be in hands of the European great excellence and quality cars. I say this because this product, cannabis, has to be integrated to NAFTA, has to have the trade potential of moving without barriers, without taxes, and without limits, only complying with the law, only complying with the consumer and his health, and he's willing to consume these products. What a big, big responsibility we all have. Now we have to build businesses. And times I came before, this audience would not dress the way it's dressing today. <laughs> it would wear different dresses. They would look more like very competitive, strong leaders to open the path for this industry to progress. But now we have a business community. We have farmers. We have traders. We have transformation uh, manufacturing. We have retail stores. We have and work under the rule of law. And we pay taxes. How wonderful it is that this is happening. And now we need to work like corporate world, like industries, like manufacturing, like retailers work. We have to plan our future. We have to share our vision. We learn the know-how of how to be productive, how to have quality products, 
how to have consumers having a nice, healthy experience, how to have a brand name, how to distinguish from other competitors. Now the market is open and is waiting for us. Now we're going to be generating jobs, many, many, many jobs. Now we're going to be yielding income to governments. Now we're going to be competitive. Now we're going to be using innovation techniques. We're going to be using technology. We're going to be forward and vanguard on creativity, on entrepreneurship, on professionalism. And this is why we have to start with a great, profound principle, which is, and it's definitive, it is fairness, it is trust that we have to build in our consumers. It is about harming any consumer. It is about, yes, having a justified return, but not to be greedy and try to make all the money in the world like cartels do. So it's a different world that we're discovering, that we're building, and that we have the responsibility to take high up to success. So it's purpose. Let's not forget about defining our purpose. We're not here just to make money. We're here to make and bring good things to community, to the world, to our nation. Purpose is a profound meaning world. Nothing in this life, no action of human beings can be done or is carried out without purpose. So let's define our purpose very clearly, in detail. Why am I in this industry? Why I want to participate? Why am I investing my money? Why do I have markets and consumers? Define clearly that. Gift yourselves a few minutes in silence. Make sure you have your purpose. And purpose, as high and heroic it can be, the more we're going to grow, the more the industry is going to grow, the more we're going to be saving lives, the more we're going to be doing good to our communities. But purpose without performance is nothing. And the cherry upon leadership is to make things happen. You've been striving, you've been struggling to open things, to change laws, to change behaviors, to change image and perception. You're doing that every day, and you will keep on doing it. You're making things happen. Now, as I said, Mexico has changed. Canada is changing, I'm sure, with a leader like Justin Trudeau, Canada will go even to become 
a leader in this industry. So performance is a key issue on leadership. But I don't understand leadership without a qualification. There are leaders like Hitler, like Napoleon, like Maduro, like Chavez, like Trump. They do destroy. It's negative leadership, but it's gender dangerous. It's false prophets selling things that they cannot comply with, selling things and dreams that come out of ignorance. What I love is the other kind of leadership. And this is clearly distinguished because, because Machiavelli on one side and my hero, the saint of Loyola, the Jesuit, Machiavelli will say you gain respect when you're powerful, when you impose, when you tweet. <laughs> you gain respect. You gain respect because of fear. Look at those guys on that cabinet meeting just one day or two ago. It's fear and something else. Loyola says you gain respect by love, by democratic dialogue, by convincing others of what you are proposing. You're a leader like that, a compassive leader, when you listen to whom you have in front, when you try to understand what he's thinking about. And then you get in his shoes once you understand. And then you react and work together. Where is this nation going? with the actual position and claims of Democrats and Republicans, which of them has proposed to move ahead, to come up with great ideas? How can I create jobs? Of course, not in the carbon industry. You can create jobs with innovation, with creativity, with competitiveness how you can create the greatest human talent, that that makes the difference between a successful nation and a lagging behind nation. How can you link and put together the vanguard with the rear guard, with the poor, with those that don't have opportunities? Sooner or later, if we don't link our vanguard with the rear guard, we will have conflict. We'll have war. We'll have terror. And you end up with terror, conflict, and problems, shooting bombs. You solve that by great, wise, ethical, moral messages. 
You don't bring harmony to the world by investing more on the army. You bring happiness and peace to the world when you invest in the State Department, when you invest in education, when you invest in technology. The world is ready to follow this leadership, this great leadership of this nation. It cannot hide before four walls. That's isolation. This nation will asphyxiate itself inside four walls. And when you leave empty spaces in leadership, somebody immediately comes and takes them. And China is eager to, Russia is eager to take that leadership. Merkel, Trudeau, Macron in France, they are eager to take that leadership. How the hell can you not recognize weather warming, ecology, nature, our home? <laughs> but this nation is great. And your partners are great, loyal, Mexico and Canada. We trade over three billion U.S. dollars a year. A million of million U.S. dollars worth of trading. Imagine the amount of jobs that we create with that. It's clear on trading, Mexico provides this nation well over 10 million direct jobs to U.S. citizens on what we buy from the United States. And we have an even balance. Only a blind guy sees that 30 billion or 50 billion makes the difference between winning and being defeated. On a million of millions trade balance, he points out the superabit, the surplus, that Mexico has, or Canada has, with the United States. The United States has a deficit with every single economy in the world. So now we're going to go to war with every single economy in the world. This economy works different. That's why it's the largest and greatest of all in the world. And it's because if you have surplus or not in trading, it's because you have open markets to invest. It's because you have open markets to gain a position to sell your products. I'm sure this is the dream of this industry. Each of you can start with a small business or a medium-sized business here in California or in Oregon or in Colorado. But you're dreaming to become global, and you are going to. And that's what we need, open markets. Fair rules of the game. Mexico is willing to sit down and negotiate NAFTA. But this guy has to open his eyes and learn a bit about economy. Learn a little about trading. Learn a little bit about how markets behave. Market economy has consequences. 
You take one action and you get a reaction. You impose a tax to automobiles coming from Mexico and we will impose your corner, your corn, your milk, your cheese, and those huge amount of products that you sell into Mexico. Your computers, your cars. It's not the way to go. It's against all the economic principles. So I'm sure we will domesticate the beast. I'm sorry to say that, but it's needed. It's needed. For the sake of a better world, it's badly needed. Do you imagine our conversations outside in the rest of the world? Do you imagine the conversations of Enrique Peña and Merkel, Chancellor Merkel from Germany? Do you imagine the conversation between the leader Enrique Peña and the Chinese leader? Let's forget about him and let's build the world together. Let's forget about his position on climate and let's build rules together to protect our own home. All of this is going around every place in the world. I'm not asking you to get rid of them. But if you can, do it. <laughs> well, anyway, let's be optimists. Let's be optimists. 21st century will bring great surprises to all of us. Don't claim tomorrow that cannabis is the one product that increased life expectancy up to 130 years in this 21st century because it will happen. It's happening. Those being born today already have a 100-year expectancy. Those being born at the middle of the century will have 120 years expectancy. And those born at the end of the century will make more than 100 years of life. It's going to be boring. We need a little bit of marijuana. <laughs> Just imagine what we can do in 130 years if we're dedicated to others, to being for others, which is the real shortcut to happiness. Just imagine all of us doing these great things all along the 21st century or throughout 130 years of life. We will have that world that we have dreamed about, that world that we need with harmony, with peace, with rules of the game, with ethical and moral values, with great beliefs, like the dream of the founding fathers of this nation. There is another dreamer, and with this I will end, Dalai Lama, this great man, profound, profound philosophy, a spiritual philosophy, not related to any religion, because all religions at the very best are small boxes that force you with rules and behaviors. 
spirituality is much wider, much more open. And he says, Dalai Lama, he says, the world belongs to humanity, not to Trump. <laughs> the, the nations belong to their citizens, not to Trump. Citizens can shape, shape the nation, can innovate, can break the paradigm. This world we have ahead is uncertainty all over. And we must make the uncertain certain. And we must make that certainty to be fair and just to everybody. We must make that certainty and that future the commonplace for all of us who live in this world. That's the charter a leader has. And you are leaders. You will be leaders all the time of, our, of your life and your sons and your grandsons and the next generations will inherit that kind of leadership. Compassive, ethical, integrity with a great cause, a better world for everybody. Thank you. We have a few minutes. We have a few minutes. Two questions, please. I have to fly to Detroit in a few minutes. Thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. Consider us a friend. We are in the state of Guanajuato. We created the first presidential library ever in outside of the United States. It's a marvelous place. Please come and visit us. Maybe not next year's, which is already a sign, but the following year, let's make this meeting at San Cristobal, which is your place and your home in that presidential library. So go ahead, please. A couple of questions. President Fox, muchísimas gracias. I'm from Colombia, so I, I feel your pain on war on drugs, uh, Colombia and Mexico. I'm curious, what's your vision on countries like ours in the next 10 years now that we legalize cannabis? How do you think the next 10 years will be for Colombia, Mexico, South America? Thank you. Well, I guess, I guess at least for Mexico, we're going to get rid of part of this violence and so many crimes that we have in Mexico. As I said, hundreds of thousands of kids have died. And I question myself, what happens when the drugs cross the border or the drugs get into United States? Where is the CIA? Where is the DEA? Where is all these institutions that you have here and you find that drug everywhere? So what better than legalizing then accepting their reality, then informing our kids, then educating our kids in preventing the wrong use of 
marijuana, for instance, it has great, good uses. So we have to do that work. And uh, I'm sure this sad problem that we saw in Colombia, that we see in Mexico, ends up, finishes. Okay. Two more questions. Hello, um, President Fox. I remember uh, three years ago I came to your ranch and uh, you hosted a great conference in Mexico uh, about three years ago. And I've since then become the president of HempMeds Mexico and I sell CBD in your country through the health department. And my question to you is, uh, don't you think that this is the time for action in Mexico? The, the medical law has just changed. And I'm wondering if you would have another conference at your place and include all the uses of the plant, especially hemp and recreation. And maybe people don't know that you're one of the biggest farmers in Mexico and you could lead by example. Thank you. Yes. Uh, thank you for your comment. Uh, yes, we had that meeting. We were on this striving to provoke this change that already happened, fortunately, and we'll keep on going. Mexico, in the sector, economic sector, of uh, cannabis, on one side is gonna be a great competitor. Because, for instance, we right now do 70% of the broccoli that you eat here in the United States come from Mexico, of course. 80% of the avocado that you eat here comes from Mexico, of course. 60% of all the tomatoes that you consume here in the States comes from Mexico. So we hope we will take our share of market and Mexican farming will enjoy 60% minimum of the marijuana industry. We have time for just one last question. Uh, before you get to 60% of the U.S. market, can you update us on the uh, Mexican domestic situation? Uh, last End of last year, the Senate passed medical uh, leg, uh, legality. Has that passed the whole uh, Congress now? And where is the process of getting it truly legal and getting stores open in Mexico? Well, medical use is already approved and being in the process to implement the regulation is being set up by authorities. Uh, most of them, based on what we see happening here, what we see in Uruguay, the experiences that are around the world, they're bringing, they're being brought to Mexico. So I think we'll have a very solid uh, uh, framework of regulation for, for Mexico to compete. Timing. It's moving quite fast. Once you open the door, then things follow much quicker. Took a lot of effort and time to open the door. It took years, years, because of that dogma that uh, everybody had there in Mexico. But today, it's open. Uh, support from people and consumers is over 50% now, same as it is here. So it just it's just a matter of doing things well. It depends on us not to get greedy, not to get uh, impatient, 
but it will get there pretty soon. Sí, dale, rápido, amiga. Ah, picture. Ah, vamos, sí. Thank you. Ahí voy, ahí voy. Let's hear it for President Fox. Thank you. We'll see you next. Right. I might take you up on that offer to uh, do an event down on the ranch. You know, on 2019, we can hold this meeting right there in San Cristobal. Okay? Fantastic. Bye-bye. Thank you. Another round of applause, President Fox. Enjoy the summit. Uh, please exit through the expo hall. Again, thank you all so much to our exhibitors and sponsors uh, and all of you for making this an incredible experience. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this edition of Grassroots Marketing on location, only on CannabisRadio.com.